G'day listeners, welcome back to Full Metal Movie Reviews. It's your host Sandboy. This week we're doing a Full Metal flashback on the John Carpenter classic, Escape from New York. It had to be done. We've done uh, the thing. We reviewed the greatest film of all time in Big Trouble Little China. And now we're following it up with one of, I guess, one of the Holy Trinity. (laughs) Uh, And that's... The Escape from uh, New York. With me to discuss all things JC and Snake Plissken is Ant. Ant, how are you, bud? Big trouble in Little China. <laughs> Thanks, man. He just uh, in Little China. He just brought back memories of a of a better movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, man, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm I'm killer, man. Um, now, just uh, discretion for our listeners out there. Sam is uh, currently getting over a cold <laughs> yeah. and. Uh, I am like two days into a head F of a cold. I missed all of Easter Sunday, my only day off work. Um, literally laying in bed. So I'm pumped, man. I'm re-energized. I've had some cups of tea, some vitamin C, and a whole lot of other drugs. And I'm ready to rock and roll and talk Escape from New York. He hinted at it. He said about it. He 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 just said... That he wished we were talking about a better movie, and I concur. I think this gets mad hype, and we'll get into why it gets mad hype and why it probably deserves some mad hype. But overall, this is probably my least favorite John Carpenter film ever, and I am including Ghosts of Mars. Big trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, look, I, I wouldn't put it. Oh, uh, you know what? Sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry, sorry. If, excluding Escape from LA. <laughs> But that's not even a film. That's just a YouTube uh, you know, fanfic. <laughs> you know, I don't know, man. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about Escape from LA a bit later. Because, you know, as I'm a professional, 100% professional to Full Metal Movie Reviews podcast, if that's even the name of this show, I don't even remember. But, you know, 100% professional. I've watched this movie like three times in the past week. And I watched Escape from LA. So, um, I do have thoughts about Escape from LA. Hey, now you're coughing like Snake yeah, did sorry, that entire movie. That was so annoying in Escape from LA. He just would not shut up with that cough. But I do have thoughts about it. And I don't think it's as bad as everyone makes it out to be. Don't get me wrong, it is still bad. But I don't think it's as bad. But we're not here to talk about it. Let's talk about New York set. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start it with you, mate. Let's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I just want. I, I want to know. I want to know. What do you like about Escape from New York? That way we get into the quick questions quick and then we can just nosedive into the shit. Uh, Snake Plissken. I like his aesthetic. Yes. I like his the eye patch. I like the cobra tattoo. I like the silenced Uzi. I like the hair. I like the knife throwing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like Snake. I like the New York prison um and how each sort of um uh sort of each area has its own subculture and gangs and you know you don't mess with the crazies or you don't mess with the duke who runs things or you don't go to this street at at night or you don't you know you got to be careful because there's people that live in underground and they come up and they eat you (laughs) i like that i like the aesthetic of it um i love the fact that it's uh, dystopian. I love dystopian sort of future. And I love probably... Hmm, I love Duke too. I think Duke is, is a compelling villain. 
I think mm. he's pretty cool. I think he's actually underrated in uh, movie villains. Mm. I, I think so too. I don't think he... He's not... He lives in a shithole and he's managed to control the shithole in order to try and get out of the shithole. Um, mm. He wants... He's unified the the criminals and he's realized what he's got and he's going to try and uh, basically leverage his situation to uh, get out of the prison. To escape from New York. That's pretty much all I like about this film. Um, what about yourself? All right, so that's why I asked you, because 100%, everything you just said, I that's what I like about this film too. So obviously Snake is number one. I love Snake. I love Kurt Russell's portrayal of Snake. I actually think Snake Plissken is probably uh, one of Kurt Russell's best characters. Um, I'll probably put it close to Jack Burden, um, but I actually like that character is very iconic. Um, and then everyone, everything else around it. So obviously the way it looks, um, I do like to contrast between the, the glitz and glamour of, you know, the, um, the organization that are running the show and then the prison itself, um, and how run down it is. I love the characters like Cabby and the Duke. Um, not so much into, Fuck uh, what was it? Fuck Cabby. Fuck yeah. Cabby. What's wrong with Cabby? Cabby? Fucking annoying. Uh, he's been driving that same cab for 30 years. Um, <laughs> how? <laughs> don't make me laugh. Fuck. Um, <laughs> shit. Sorry, guy. Again, apologies. We're both sick. Um, no, no, no. But I, I love all that. So, you know, I agree with you with that. Um, and the reason why I wanted to get that out of the way. And look, we haven't given a plot synopsis for this film, but if you haven't seen it, there's something wrong with you. But essentially, um, Kurt Russell's escaping from New York. Sam, you can go more deep into it if you want, but that's I, I that's do, more or less it. It's actually important to give some context. So, <sighs> because the reason why I have a fault with this film is not the premise. The premise is pretty simple. The president has been his plane has been hijacked by um, some activists, and it has subsequently crash landed over in New York, which is now a federal prison. New that York. is a lazy hijacking. Yeah, like, it is what it is. It, you know what I mean? Like one minute, a lot of this like, film's lazy, and a lot of this film's lazy. I, I didn't even realize when I first watched it. I didn't even realize they were both in the same. Like that was happening on one plane. It was it looked like two different locations. Like I'm like, who's this random person, and who are these other people, and what's this got to do? But anyway, continue. So the Liberation National Liberation Front has hijacked the president's Air Force One. Somehow, um, and consequ- consequently, the the basically the uh, Secret Service can't sh- shoot down the door to the cockpit. Otherwise, I mean, they say she's pressurized the cabin. The whole fucking plane is pressurized. If they shoot a bullet, they'll all go down, right? So yeah. what they opt to do is put the president in a capsule, and the capsule is like, um, I think this is, exists in real life. Is basically if the plane's going down, the president goes into the capsule. And the capsule will keep him alive in the event of a crash, but it also can be shot out of the plane, and it airbags open up, and it can land safely. So it's like an escape pod, in essence. Sounds so, pretty cool. So the president's escape pod lands in New York. Now, as, as mentioned before, New York is a, now the federal prison where all sort of um, prisoners go. Doesn't matter what you've done. It's you, you commit a crime. And, and this, you this, go is, to New this York. is this is set in the. Uh, Near future of 1997 as well. It's important. I thought it was like 1982. 
There was when it, this when the movie was made, but it's set in 1997. Oh, okay, and um, then and then LA is set in 2013, so they they got a lot of stuff right. Yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um. So, uh, they. It's very important to note that the, the and this is why this is important to give some subplot is that because at the moment. America is being run by a whole bunch of evangelicals and they're in a war with the Russians and Chinese. Um, and this war has been raging on for a long time. And basically, the America's fed up with this war. But full circle is that the crime rate, um, consequently, has um, skyrocketed to 400%. Um, and so, in order to curtail that, what they decided to do was um, create a super prison and literally it all it is is they chuck you in and they um don't ever worry about trying to get you out so once you go in you don't come back out there is no coming back out and the super prison is basically uh so the island of manhattan and that's been walled off uh at jersey and then the the i'm not sure hudson river i think it's called it's full of sea mines, so you, people can't swim out, um, or they can't p- build a craft to swim out, otherwise the mines will blow them up. It's also patrolled heavily by a paramilitary force, uh, which is essentially, I guess, the warden. Uh, it's basically like a an army. It's called they're called cops, but they're actually an army, um, state-run army. And so you have to kind of understand the world that they're talking about here is they America is not the America it's an extremist version of what we how we depict America where it's run by extremist evangelicals that don't that suppress freedom it's almost a dictatorship um, and if you demean any any minor offense doesn't matter what it is if you commit a crime you're now going to New York and New York they've given up on New York they said New York this is it you're in there and you'd basically just go live the rest of your days on this fucking dystopian island um, and why why it's important is because it gives the stakes of the president crash landing in New York City. They would normally, you'd think, well, what is that? Okay, I know it's the president, but if they can't go in to get him out, wouldn't the vice president just take him over? And the reason why they say that can't happen is because the president is negotiating at a conference with the Chinese and the Russians to kind of end the war. All right, so we got that. But then you also got another sort of subplot where Snake Plissken is part of a, I would say, revolutionary movement to overthrow the dictatorship of the presidency and to end the war. Um, so there's this National Liberation, uh, I think National Liberation Front, I think they're called in the movie, that are very loosely referenced or referred to. I mean, it's referred to in the hijacking, but that's about it that are trying to basically bring change and the downfall of the presidency, right? So all of that is important. So it's a lot to digest because otherwise you're thinking, well, if the president, if they can't, if the president's being held hostage in New York, what does it matter? Why do they need a time frame? Why do they have to have only 24 hours to get him out? And it's basically to give them some sort of stakes. Okay, so the president gets captured by the, the Duke and when the paramilitary initially goes in to recover the pod, uh, I can't remember that one of the crazies. I can't remember his name, but he's a psycho 
approaches the paramilitary force and says, basically, you touch me, you die. You don't take off in 30 seconds, you die. You come back, you die. And basically, they're saying, we've got the president. You do any of those three things, the president will die. And any rational person would be, okay, well, here are the two options. Option one is that we take control back of the island with military force, which they can do because um, presumably there's very few guns and actual weaponry in New York City left. Uh, or alternatively, they wait till they get a list of demands and then they try to negotiate with these guys or they send in someone covertly to try and like a special forces, special ops mission to get the guy out. All right. So once we get, we're about 30 minutes in and we kind of understand what's going on. Lots of digest, a lot of backstory, a lot of context, a lot of world building. Snake Pliskin, on the night of this president getting um, uh, captured in New York City, just happens to be caught and being processed for going to New York. Just happens. It was very circumstantial. And so what the warden decides to do is that he decides to give Snake an option. He goes, you can go in, get the president out, and I'll exonerate you of all past crimes and let you go free man, or you can go in New York City and die. And that's it. And live your days out in New York City. Snake Pliskin figures, oh, well, what the hell? I'm going to die there anyway, so I might as well try something. And he agrees to go in, get the president out. Before he goes in, the warden doesn't trust that Snake Pliskin is going to stick to the deal, so he injects him with a virus that can be killed with radioactive no microwaves or something and basically he's got 24 hours to get the president now because he's is, that pre- a vi- is that a virus in the first one i thought they were like little explosives in his arteries ah uh, you're right correct it's like a what they called micro uh, nanobots nanobots um, Selfish. and it's like okay 24 hours fine but it's very loose, like 24 hours to get to this present, to this conference. Otherwise, the war continues. So I'm like, very, my understanding is that this is counterintuitive to what Snake Plissken wants. Wouldn't you be on the side of the fucking guys holding him prisoner? If you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> he, hey. he doesn't, he wants the, um, I mean, everybody wants the war to end. So I guess this is the best way to do it. But at the same time, he wants to bring the downfall of the presidency. So. Mm. maybe just kill the president. Anyway, Snake goes in, meets up with Cabby. Cabby takes him to Brain. Brain takes him to Duke. He then basically gets the president, gets the president, gets the out, president out, and that's it. End of movie. Well, I mean, yeah. And you, you, fill in the, you fill in the plots. <laughs> I fill in the plots. I, you fill in I'll the plots. Be- I'll be honest, I'll, I'll stop paying attention to you about half an hour ago. Um, yeah, he, go, he goes into New York, you know, he, he gets into some mischief. He uh, is locating the president. Pretty much uh, what's happened is that the, um, uh, yeah, what did you get up to? President got captured by the Duke. I mean, I think you pretty sum, you summed it up, man. Um, there's, a, there's a random wrestling match in there where he's fighting a big uh, Ox Baker looking guy. And... Uh, Guess you get shot in the leg with an arrow. You know what? It's a long movie that long you know, kind of, kind of could just uh, be done and dusted in half an hour. So, I think, yeah, yeah, I think you got it summed up there, man. 
uh, he gets the explosives out of his neck, and then uh, at the end, uh, spoiler alert, Snake um, switches the tape that the president was going to uh, use for his little conference mm-hmm. thing because he didn't like what the president was uh, the president's vibe with what he was saying. Um, he took the tape, swapped it over, played Cabby's great soundtrack, and uh, Snake walks off, and that's uh, that's the end of the movie. So. Um, so Snake still fulfills his mission of whatever he wanted to do, and he's te- again? Te- technically the, a free man. The, the, what was the tape again? He had something about the president admitting to something or something? Ooh, something. Uh, you know what? I'll be brutally honest. I, I can't remember. Because cause let's face it, the tape really wasn't that big of a deal until the very end. Mm. And then you kind of like... You, you forgot it was there. Like, I forgot it was there. Um, and I think that the cast forgot it was there too because there was one scene where they were like, oh, yeah, the tape. I know where that is. And then they're going because they have it. It's like, where was it? Um, yeah, I can't remember, but it was something important. Um, but Snake did the old uh, switcheroo at the very end. So I think um, just before we continue going on, I would like to just point out, because we didn't mention this, but... Um, Donald Pleasance, as always, gives a uh, top-notch performance as the British president of the United States of America. Yeah, I, know. <coughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, remember, this was set in the future, so anything can happen. Um, but, it, but he does a great performance. Um, as uh, as uh, And I do have a lot of fun facts about this film, so uh, we'll bring it up a bit later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, look, the main gripe with this is that we pretty much, you know, you summarize that everything about the movie was done within the first half hour, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're pretty much, you're following Snake around. And while he runs into some interesting people um, and little things happen here and there, there's not enough going on to keep your attention. It's essentially he's walking around the place. Correct. Um, and you're following him. And every now and then a pocket of action happens, but it only happens for a few seconds and then it's over. Yeah. And then you're watching him walk around again. Um, and then finally at the end, there's an extended action sequence um, with the car chase between the Duke and um, Snake. Um, and it's just like an excuse to kill off all the characters, such as Snake and the president left standing. Um, but other than that, it's just plodding along. So you can pretty much, you can tune out of this movie after the first half hour and tune back in for the last 10 minutes and mm. you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have missed a thing. I mean, I mean, the, uh, what I, I should have also mentioned what I really like is the aesthetics of New York City. So what they do is create yes. a very dystopian society. It's almost like Mad Max, basically is rebels and uh, groups of gangs and they're just, everyone's just fighting and it's crazy. It's mayhem. It's pandemonium it's bedlam it's this it's just hell on earth right but it's when he goes to new york it's when the film slows down like it just slows down because he's almost like a detective trying to piece out all right so the pod's empty who's taking the who's taking the president he goes into this theater on broadway and he sees some theater some guy's doing a Broadway musical. So you, so you think, no, there's obviously some sort of resemblance or re- resemblance of humanity left. He meets Cabby and Cabby's like, oh, you're Snake Plissken, aren't you? He's like, well, how would fucking Cabby know who Snake Plissken is? Like, it doesn't make sense. If he's been driving that cab for 30 years, 
Snake Plissken <laughs> is, pres- is presumably, I don't know, say 40 at best. He wasn't Snake Plissken at 10. So how the fuck does Cabby know about Snake Plissken? All he must know is about what people tell him. Okay, if what people tell him, how the fuck would they know through through description of someone he's never seen, how would he know who Snake Plissken is? And that's one of the fundamental things that doesn't make sense is that Snake Plissken is the world's most renowned war hero, super spy, super soldier. Everybody knows who the fuck Snake Plissken is. It doesn't make any sense. Logically, everyone, it doesn't make any sense. And everyone thinks he's dead because everyone he runs into goes, Snake Plissken, I thought you were dead. It doesn't make any sense. And it's only done to show that he's a cool guy that's fucking well-known and well-respected. All right, whatever. But he then goes into the basement and he just... And the basement scene is pretty much there to show how good he is um, with his knife fights and hands, um, fighting skills, right? Mm. But then there's, he goes to see that, that bathroom scene and it's like some guy standing behind another guy and he's just punching another guy in the head. And you see the president's gps tracker on his wrist and he thinks it's the president it's like well clearly that's not the president <laughs> like it's this it's just weird it's a weird it's a weird scene right and then he just then has to track down who's got him so then he get, meets cabby and cabby's like oh yeah you don't want to be in this part of town this late at night okay fine and then he takes him to brain and then brain used to work with snake Pliskin. and then you kind of see brain is pumping gas in new york in order to f- drive the cars and it's like, all right, so you've gone to all this effort to establish this premise of New York, the war with the Russians, the the totalitarian state that the presidency is now in. But you don't go bother to explain any context of how New York functions. So some places have power, some places don't. Some places, how do they get food? How do they do anything? How do they fucking get gas? They wouldn't have gas wherever all the guns go because presumably New York has like fucking 20 million people living it. How do they just lose all the weapons? Fucking, yeah. it, it's like a, it just, if someone like me, it's very hard to get in, involved in a movie where it's it's very loosely defines the premise because you guys got to remember this is not uh, the world hasn't ended. It's just that this part of New York is now shut off from the world. But mm. it operates oddly and strangely. Yeah, so that, that premise is just a bit... You know, you it, yeah, it, it definitely... Oh, I and also, the almost, film is in 1988. It's, nah, so, it's, in 1998, it's, it starts, that 400% increase in crime, and then... In 1997, NATO is escalating war with the Soviet Union across Europe. Jesus Christ. This, I'm looking, reading through this Wikipedia and it's like, for such a simple premise, there's so much context in Backworld. Anyway, what sorry. Year, going, what what year is Escape from New York set in? 1997. 1997, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You said 87. That's all right. 88. You know, it starts in 88. So it's in 1988 <laughs> following this a 400% increase in crime. Yeah, okay, but, you know, the the events that we watch is from... No, anyway, um, <laughs> I just want to say something. <laughs> I just want to throw a couple... I want to throw a fun fact out now because you mentioned him a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when uh, he was in the bathroom scene and the dude's getting his head punched in mm-hmm. and stakes like Mr. President. So that guy looks really familiar because he's in, like, every single John Carpenter movie. Mm-hmm. So I checked him out, and his name is uh, Buckflower. Uh, or George Buckflower, and I'm going down. I'm like, oh yeah, he's pretty much in every John Carpenter movie. What else has he been in? Oh yeah, kept going down, kept going down. Police Girls Academy, 
What's this? Succula. Uh, all, night, all night long. Deep Jaws. Love Games. Devil's Ecstasy. Yeah, man. Dude was doing porno from like 1970 all, all the way to all the way to what looks like pretty much until he met John Carpenter because The Fog is his first JC movie. Yeah. So it looks like John Carpenter got him out of porn. There you go. There you go. But could, like, look at that guy. Is he? Does he look like a porn guy to you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, 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 to be honest, yeah. <laughs> he does. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll give him that. So um, there you go. There's, there's a fun fact for you children out there. And the way they get Snake Plissken in is pretty... Uh, it's dated as hell now, too. So to get Snake in, they put him into a stealth uh, glider. So it's I don't know why it needs to be stealth. It just needs to be silent. I mean, none of these people presumably had st- have radar. Um, so it begs the question, why can't he just parachute in? Like, what's the big deal? Uh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just maybe he has like a raft that he can row out and the helicopter can then drop down a rope and you can, and you know. They yeah. want to show they want to show off that 1997 technology, man. Okay, fair enough. So the, the glider lands on top of the World Trade Center, which is now non-existent, obviously. Um, And it kind of... It, it's like... Uh, okay, so the premise is pretty interesting in that this is how he has... It's like Snake versus New York. He goes in, and you're right. It's it's almost like a horror film, particularly with like a lot of the characters that run in the shadows and run across the screen or behind him. And <clears throat> it's almost like you're watching a slasher film, almost, in some respect. <laughs> yeah, the and, slowest slasher film of all time. Well, and that's my point, is it's really slow, methodically building to something. And you think, oh, yeah, this might be interesting. But then it changes gears when he gets captured by the Duke into a conventional action film. And it, and it just goes pretty much, he just has to escape the Duke by killing that guy in a death match. Uh, with I think the guy's called Slag. Yeah, uh, played by uh, a professional wrestler named uh, Ox Baker, who, mm-hmm. fun fact, was beating up Kurt Russell a little bit too much. So Kurt Russell gave him an old Johnny tap in the nads to tell him to back off. Really? And then they were cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For realsies. There you go. And he, he wasn't too keen with the uh, little bit of wood because there were real nails on that um, baseball bat. And there was a small two-by-four or something behind his neck. So he wasn't too keen with that baseball bat going into that piece of wood for the practical effect. Oh, so um, actually drive it into his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they did it for real because that you know they needed the real effect, so they just put a piece of wood there. Kurt Russell had needed to have pretty good aim, and he did. So it's all good. I would have thought they were just these rubber nails or something. Anyway, <laughs> um, why would you do that? And in this death match, you're like, what the fuck am I watching? And it's just really lame. Like it's just lame. Like it's just. It's, I mean, when he goes to Brain's house and Brain agrees to help him, not really agrees, but he's kind of forced to help him. And then even like this, so there's only one female sort of um, uh, protagonist in this film. I forgot her name. Um, what's Brain's squeeze, um, as they refer to it? Maggie. Maggie? Maggie. Maggie. Who's just got massive tits and they're just out. So she's literally there for one thing. So sex that's it because she doesn't really service or save the day i mean she helps brain free the president but she dies well, pretty much well she was married to uh, john carpenter at the time so oh was she yeah okay. and 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 funny funny thing um that girl that was in chock full of nuts that's what she's credited as 
Um, so that girl, Kurt uh, Snake Bliskin, runs into the first time around, and then she gets pulled on the ground. That's uh, Kurt Russell was married to her at the time, and then I'm pretty sure both of them got divorced um, in '83. So Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, mate, they're like, they're like bros, right. man. Yeah. There you go. Fun facts with Anthony all day long. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then, excuse me, I have to cough. <coughs> sorry about that. Oh, I'm glad you did that. <coughs> been holding oh, that. Sorry, guys. I just fucking I don't know what it is. This weather's fu- it's meant to be fucking autumn, but it's been hot, and now it's only just recently changed to cold. Dude, it was like yeah, it's like summer, winter, summer, winter. Make up your damn mind. Like this movie, you either horror, action, sci-fi. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Um, and then basically, the Duke it just pursues them over the bridge. And I'm like, oh, this is so boring. And it's the most slowest fucking car chase ever. And you're right. How can you do a car chase over a bridge? It's so fucking boring. Basically, I, I, I look, the movie didn't have the budget to, to pull off what it was trying to pull off. It's before its time, before CGI. It just didn't have it. Just didn't have the money to do it. It's funny you say it's before it's time. So I just want, look, I want the audience out there to know that if you're listening to this and right now you're a John Carpenter fan and you were listening to this thinking, oh yeah, this is, Anthony's going to give this a really good review like he did The Thing and Sam's going to really give it good reviews like he did Big Trouble and now you're like, I want to kill both these motherfuckers. Uh, just let me tell you something. This was a really good idea and this movie was executed not so much the editing and and the the story wise that was a bit eh, but it was executed well with everything else the characters the 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 sets and everything so much so that the sets were were reused for um blade runner right so they had such a good look for it blade runner you know took the sets repainted them reused them um uh jim cameron he was the uh, cinematographer for the scene of the helicopter flying over New York. So what I'm trying to say is that this movie, Sam hit the nail on the head. It, it was before its time. Should be made a bit later, but not too later, like we saw with Escape from LA, but like, you know, around Terminator time. That would have been good. But, you know, it was made a little too early. <laughs> it was made and a I mean, too early. I mean, like, I mean like Terminator 2, by the yeah. way. Um, yeah. Well, funnily enough, we were just talking about this. I'm reading on Wikipedia. So, basically, John Carpenter realized that he couldn't film this in New York City because of the budget. And the problem mm. was that he needed New York to look dilapidated and sort of semi-destroyed, right? So, I thought, well, why don't we film this in a back lot? And he's like, well, you can't do it in a back lot because it'll lose that authenticity of the actual city. So... <laughs> They sent out the um, location, uh, I guess, what's it called? Uh, producer, location manager, whatever it is. Uh, location to, scout. And to find a city that had was literally the worst city in New York. And they found <laughs> uh, East St. Louis, Illinois, because it was filled with old buildings that exist in New York now, and they have that run-down uh, quality. So there you go. It was St. St. Louis, Missouri, is where they filled yeah, yeah. the city. Film that uh, New York State from New York. Um, well, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I love, I love. See, f- for me, I love everything that this film is is about. Correct. Dystopian future, Snake Plissken, a cool sort of covert sort of operative, badass antihero. Um, I love the fact that it's sci-fi ish. It's eighty sci-fi, so it's very much 
what the 80s thought the future looked like. Um, but it just doesn't resonate. It doesn't click. The third act, it just gets... It loses all steam by the time Snake gets in there. Like, because it's just... It's just so... It lacks all sort of action. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what's really disheartening is that I love John Carpenter films. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is... I still rather watch this film than anything else, right? Yeah. But if you give me the option, it's not... Even the dialogue. The dialogue is wooden and and it's very dry delivery and it's it takes itself very seriously. Um, the only comic relief is the president because they make the president out to be a fool, pretty much. Um, but it's just... It's one of his first scripts as well, so it's missing that sort of... His refined sort of kookiness sort of self-reflective um witty uh charisma it is, it is, it's void of charisma basically it just looks cool but that's not it's not enough it's not enough to be to it just needs some, it. <clears throat> it needs something right yeah, it needs know. something it's like it's like walking into a brand new house right it needs furniture in it so, you know, you've got everything there. You just need to start filling in the blanks. It's just it's just missing missing that. And, and you know, he got Snake right. Snake is a cool anti-hero badass who, you know, saw a woman potentially get mm. raped. And he was just like, yeah, no, nah, i got to do my own shit. Sorry. You know, he, he, he's, a, he's a killer character. But he's just set in a, in a world that is on the outside really cool. But when you get in there, it's just a bit, eh. Yeah. <laughs> and that and that's that's the honest issue with this film. But hundred percent, if we're having a you know, if this was on TV and something else was on, I would choose this. If we were having a John Car- John Carpenter marathon, for example, and we had to pick three movies, mm. it would be Big Trouble. It would be uh, the Thing, and I would do Vampires over this, mm. just because it's it's more fun and that kind of has a bit more of that John Carpenter mm. so- self awareness mm. mm. that that he inserted. He didn't he didn't have that yet. It was still very much, I'm a serious filmmaker. I want to make a serious movie about serious issues. Um, you know, They Live, for example, full of that charisma, that comic relief. He yeah. had an actor, Roddy Piper, not the best actor in the world, but he was able to pull that off um, because he had that, that sense about him that, you know, he's, in a, he's taking it seriously, but he's not taking it too seriously, you know? Um, and that movie, to me, is more entertaining than this, Whereas that's probably one of the lesser John Carpenter movies, you know what I mean? In the long yeah, run, yeah. Um, and and I mean, if you look at so he did Dark Star, which is his sort of indie film, which is okay. I mean, I've, I've got the DVD, but have you seen Dark Star? Nah, no, nah, we've we've discussed this. Like, yeah. You're 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 meant to lend it to me, and I've uh, haven't reminded you because okay, right. I've so been. Dark Star is a black satire, uh, black comedy sort of satire on the whole. Um, sort of sci-fi uh, space odyssey um, movies. And then you have Assault on Pre- Precinct 13, which is a straight-up straight action film. Mm-hmm. Halloween, straight-up horror. Someone's Watching Me, which is a TV film I've never seen. Elvis, TV film. And The Fog, which is like a horror. And Escape from New York, which is action. So, I mean, it's... You, it, the, the palette is in development, I'd say, in terms of going to, down the road of delivering... Uh, look, okay, maybe what I'm trying to say is I don't believe John Carpenter to be the best action director. Look, um, at, th- at this point, he was still a horror guy. 
I mean, but, he, well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think he's ever memor- been um, known for delivering beautifully shot and sequenced action pieces. I think what he does do is build atmosphere, tension, um, that sort of horror sort of component to filmmaking. That's what he excels at. And this has it. It's very eerie. Like New York is very quiet and it's very desolate and you don't hear much. But you think if a country that has 380 million people or whatever, 200 million people, right, if the crime rate's gone up 400%, let's do this, right? So what's the crime rate? Let's do this. What's the crime rate? Crime rate in USA. So homicides, that's whatever. So total... um, uh, so that's was 4.9 per 100 inhibitors. Okay, so if that goes up by 4.9 times 400% as per the movie equals... Okay, so that's pretty much... Okay, so that's about... Okay, so... 19.60 times... What's the other say? Let's say 280 million... Sam's a numbers guy for you uh, fans out there. There'll be approximately 5.4 million people in New York City just based on crime rate, okay? okay. It doesn't, look, doesn't look like to be 5.4 million people in that city. It looks to be like 20. <laughs> it's, it's What a 20 they are. And I know it makes sense that they go at night and, and at night they emphasize you can't go out in New York at night because it gets fucking crazy and weird. Uh, during the day... You can kind of survive and people kind of get on and you get on getting on, right? But if females, males, cats, dogs, whoever, if they're getting to this city, and, and I must emphasize it's not just males, it is females as well. I mean, you, you only ever see one female, but it's inferred that all violent crimes, all crimes you go. So it would be female and male. Mm. And that Maggie is given to Brain by Duke because he wants to keep Brain happy. So basically... I, I assume that Duke controls all the women and he prostitutes them or whatever. He does whatever with them. He commo- he makes them as a commodity. Well, you see two women. You see the, the woman that tries to seduce the snake and you see um, Maggie. Um, they're at least... I mean, fuck, man. That's a, that's the size of Sydney, man. That's Sydney in the size of Manhattan, right? Manhattan's... She's doing an Australian knockoff escape from Sydney. But, dude, escape, my point escape is... Escape from the harbour, mate. There would be more people out and about. No, you're 100% right. But I don't think... Honestly, the scope's I think too you're, big you're for, the first, for the money I think, they had, the scope's too big. I think you're the first person to look into that. <laughs> no, but, I mean... that's And that's what the thing that doesn't... That kind of... It's like... Look, John, John Carpenter does it best mm. when he, when he uh, limits... When he limits himself to a small uh, setting, um, a small group of uh, characters, and and a simple plot, the thing, alien attacking a small group of people, right? Uh, Halloween, babysitter killer, um, big trouble, in little China, Jack Burton messing up, you know, little China, like, you know, what one simple idea? That's that's when he does his best. Um, cause he's a small budget kind of director. He's not a big time budget director. Um, if he was given the budget and if he was given all the resources, maybe, but you see what happens when he gets a little bit more money, he makes Ghost of Mars, you know, like, I just think, 
I think John Carpenter is best when he limits himself. Stick to that independent role. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. I mean, you'd probably argue that the the only other films that have such big scope would be probably Big Little Trouble in Little China, but not really because it's set in Little China and it's set in a warehouse and the underground of that warehouse. So it's not really that big a scope. It's, it isn't. It's not as open world as um, everyone else. And they live is basically about two guys that can see the world for what it is. So it's not really, you don't you just need extras walking around, but you don't like, you don't really need anything else. Um, and that's what, I mean, that's what the thing that's such a bummer with this film is that you got, it's a cult classic, but I don't know. I just don't think it's, I don't know. I don't think it's his best, is my point. It's not his best. Point. It's not his best, but it's not his worst. But it's definitely, you know, when you look at the Holy Trinity, it's the weaker of the Trinity. Um, and one could argue that um, potentially something else could be up there from John Carpenter. What would you put uh, in? What, but, exactly, but then that's the next thing. Like, what would it be? The closest thing I could think of mm. um, would, would be They Live, um, would be my mm. next you know, third mm. one in. Not but that, like, but that's a dip in quality. Uh, no, dude, I'm, yeah, you know what? I'll, I don't see... See, Halloween to me, I don't know. It's a John Carpenter movie, yes, but it's good as well, but it's, I don't think it's good enough to be in the talks that The Thing and Big Trouble are in. Do you know what I mean? Like I think, as far mm. as a as far as a horror movie goes, yes, it's definitely one of the best horror films. But as far as a movie goes, um, I just think it's not quite, you know, up there. Um, but yeah, probably they yeah they mm. live. Um, Christine, nah, I, I, I hate that main character. It drives me out the wall. I tried to actually watch it the other day, but I couldn't put the DVD in. I just couldn't. Really? <laughs> yeah, I just that kid man. I just don't like his look. It's just Keith Gordon. He's too greasy. Um, just don't like him. Fuck. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, Halloween, Halloween maybe, but I still I would put They Live over Halloween just for just for sheer enjoyment. I would too. I would too. We've we've done They Live, haven't we? As a fl- no, we haven't. Oh Jesus Christ! We should have done that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we could do a li- we could do a live commentary on that. Maybe might have turned into John John Carpenter fucking podcast. Um, look. <laughs> But I really want to emphasize that, as, as you mentioned, that this was early on the piece because it got released in 1981 and people were like blown away by it because they hadn't really sort of visualized or, or conceptualized this sort of notion of dystopian, like a future that is worse than the present. Um, because, at, I mean, if you look at, say, the sci-fi hits that came out before it, they kind of interest a futuristic sort of world. I mean, there was a couple like dystopian future um, films, um, like um, that uh, Charlton Heston one, Solvent Green or something like that. And there's one about the the running, um, the island, whatever it's called. But there's a couple there. But my point is, this is the one that's sort of like shit has gone weird and south, and it's was an an important sort of milestone because it was an inspiration for directors that learnt from John Carpenter as you mentioned before John um, you know Ridley Scott not maybe not learnt but were inspired or thought about something or they helped Dude, him they, with their they, own film they definitely learnt from him like 
Definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> it's 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 an important piece of film history, and it is a cult classic, and it cements John Carpenter as being one of the most, um, I guess I would say, in innovative directors. Given because like you got to understand, like the budget of these films isn't big, and the worlds that he constructs, and the sort of the parameters that he creates, and and you think how does he pull this off? And not only does a great job, but like gets it to be a beloved iconic film it's amazing because mm. there's been so many fucking z grade films that look shitty have no money look shitty this has no money but looks fantastic you know what i mean yeah 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 that's right <clears throat> so, and, I, and, and you you hit the again you hit the nail on the head again because he does so much with so little um mm. that like let again it is 2019 I actually had to look at my computer to look at the date. That's how sick I am right now. It is 2019, hmm. and we are talking about this movie that was made, shit, is it 40 years ago? Hmm. Almost 40 years ago, right? You know, um, and we're talking about it now, just like we talked about all the other cult yeah. classics that John Carpenter has made. Uh, I guarantee you, in 40 years' time, we're not going to be talking about a leader. <laughs> no, we won't be. <laughs> you know? Uh, maybe if we do a worst of 2019, we might talk about a leader. But you know, 40 years from now, if we're still doing a podcast, there might be something wrong with us. So, um, you know, guys, like when we say we're not trashing, I just want to get something clear: we're not trashing this movie. We're just giving an honest opinion on how it lays out. Mm. Like for us, like John Carpenter, we probably grade a bit higher than we would other directors. Like, I would, you know, I would grade him a lot higher than, I'm just saying it right now, Ridley Scott. I think Ridley Scott, to me, is a couple hit wonder, man, because... We've, yeah, you should have been on the podcast. We said, that, oh, we kind of come to the conclusion, Dave, myself, and Rob, that Ridley Scott has had some stellar films, but overall, arcing, his, sorry, his sort of overall filmography isn't very good. Exactly. So, to me, he's an overnight sensation, you know? Um, and he's kind of just got his own hype that he holds on to. But if he stuck to what he was good at, um, as soon as he started overcomplicating stuff with CGI and all that type of stuff, and he just got kind of mm. got taken in by his own ego, his movies showed that, right? But with Carpenter, he never gave a crap about what studios wanted or whatever. He just wanted to make his own movies. Correct. Nobody nobody wanted um, Kurt Russell in this. They wanted Tommy Lee Jones as Snake Plissken. Oh really? Right? Yeah. And the same with Big Trouble. They didn't want John they didn't want Kurt Russell in that either. But he's just like, no, I want to make the movie I want to make. And I'm gonna make the movie I'm gonna make. Right? So Kurt you know, John Carpenter as a filmmaker, you know, I rank him really high. So we're not trashing this film. It's just it's not the best that he's dished out is definitely not the worst, but it's not the best. It goes for too long, and the story ultimately it gives us a dump down of information up front, an absolute dump down of information up front, and kind of leads it flat towards the end. Would you say yes. that's fair? I would say that's fair. All right, and so you had some quick. You reckon you had, you had a whole bunch of fun facts for us, so. Unleash him, bud. Tell us some fun facts about Escape from New York. All right. Well, because now the reason why I am actually on um, IMDb right now, but I'm just reading you the ones that I already know about because I've watched this movie a few times with audio mm. commentaries by um, Deborah Hill, 
And Deborah Hill, producer. Producer, yeah. So she's produced a, a lot of movies with John Carpenter. Um, all the way, I think, from Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so her um, and then John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. It was interesting. John Carpenter and Kurt Russell did their commentary in 94. And Deborah Hill and I think one of the production designers did their commentary in 2001. Yeah. So it was interesting when they were like talking about technologies and stuff because, yeah, technology just moves so quickly over the past 20 years. But that's <clears throat> that's a different podcast that we're not a part of. Um, okay, the open narration um, and the computer's voice in the first pres- in the first prison scene were provided by an uncredited Jamie Lee Curtis. There you go. There you go. Uh, Donald Pleasance drew on his own wartime experiences as a prisoner of war for his performance as the in-prison president. That's pretty cool. I didn't realize it was a POW. Yeah. Um, Oh, there you go. It just shows that Hollywood are all fake muscles. The manhole covers in the film were all made out of wood. Real (laughs) ones were too heavy for the actors. Pussies. Uh... So he, John Carpenter originally wrote the film in the mid-70s as a reaction to the Watergate scandal, whatever that is, but no studio wanted to make it because it was deemed to be too dark and too violent. That all changed after the success of Halloween. So mm. he tried to get the movie out in the 70s, but it was still too, you know, too early for it. Mm. Um, you talked about the St. Louis um, stuff. I talked about the ex-wives. Uh, I talked about Tommy Lee Jones, so I think that's pretty much it for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, jo- oh, Kurt Russell found it necessary to remove the eye patch between takes as wearing it constantly seriously affected his depth perception. I talked about the wrestling match. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. Oh, there you go here. This, this one I didn't know, but. Chuck Norris was also considered to play Snake Plissken, but he turned it down. Oh, thank God for that. Thank God. He would have just been sidekicking everybody. Fuck. Um, so, I guess... Did you know, uh, Did you know? technically... Yeah. Technically, um, unless things have changed... No, no, I think he's still my senior, but Chuck Norris and I share something in common. What's that? We, bo- we both have showdown numbers in the art of Murakwan martial arts. What does that mean? We're both black belts in the same art. Can <laughs> you say that? <laughs> no, I can't. All right, I wanted to, you know, make it a bit more mysterious. Ah, anyway, righto. Okay. Um, thanks for those fun facts, Ant. Um, no worries, mate. I would say overall, guys, this is definitely worth the watch. If you have a rainy afternoon, you got nothing better to do, pull it up, get yourself a cup of tea or hot chocolate, whatever, and just put a blanket over yourself and just snuggle in and watch it. You probably will fall asleep. I guarantee you probably will fall asleep by the end of it, but it's not something you regret having watched. Um, it's engaging to a point, but then by the two hour mark, you're definitely over it. So yeah, um, it's, 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 it's okay. And overall, it's something that you'd probably have in your DVD collection because it's one of those things that you just have to have as a cult classic and you need to make sure it's in your any sort of self-respecting um cinephile would have in their collection but at the end of the day it's not one that you'd fondly want to go back to over and over again it takes a bit out of you it's funny um 
I see we've avoided the uh, sequel, but that's okay because we won't oh, get into you it. You want to talk about it? Talk about it because we're, <laughs> no, we're doing the a whole 50... episode on that one. That's for sure. Far, right. All right, all right, all right, all right. So there was a sequel. No, but I was just going to say, um, growing up, I actually um, thought Escape from LA was Escape from New York. So listeners out there, I am uh, I'm dyslexic, so that doesn't mean I read things backwards. But sometimes, if uh, you know something is very similar, I might just assume that that's what it is. So I spent a long time thinking that this great movie that everyone was talking about was Escape from L.A. And I was just like, but it's shit. Anyway, um, Escape from L.A., if you do get a chance to watch it, I would say uh, put it on, but just make sure you're busy at the time. Do your laundry, wash your dishes. This is definitely not one of John Carpenter's good films. So they did do a sequel in 96, uh, said it in 2013. Um, let's just say it's essentially it's a remake of Escape from New York. It has the exact same plot to the point where even Snake Plissken says this sounds familiar. Um, and it goes through the exact same situation, except it's not the president he's got to rescue. It's, well, he's got to kill the president's daughter, but it's still the president's involved. They send them to L.A., which is a prison because it's been isolated after an earthquake. Um, and essentially, he gets marked with the flu that could kill him within 10 hours if he doesn't get an antidote. And he has to go around and get the president's daughter. And instead of a wrestling match, he has to win a basketball match before the king of LA kills him. So I just wanted to bring that up because I don't want you guys to watch it. So don't watch it. Um, <laughs> uh, I forgot. Is it doesn't he? Doesn't he end the world with the EMP thing? Uh, he doesn't end the world. He shuts down the world. So this thing like shuts down all electrical. You know, he makes the world go into darkness. <coughs> Whereas the president wanted to use it to just beat his enemies. Snake wanted to just put the entire world into darkness. There you go, guys. Let me tell you one thing. I forgot to mention Duke and why I liked him. <laughs> so Duke has a cool... He's called the Duke of New York. So I, I kind of wrapped this up and then I, now I just want to quickly touch on the Duke because I don't think... We're oh, oh, hold, on, hold on one sec. Hey, children. Hey, chef. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. He's played by uh, Isaac Hayes. Yeah, he's the chef of South Park. Um, yeah. He looks the part. He wears like a paramilitary uniform with uh, shoulder pads and... He's called the Duke of New York because he is, I guess, I don't know why the Duke, Duke just sounds cool. And he runs New York. And the thing I like about him is that he, his, his gang are loyal to him. So he obviously inspires leadership. He has charisma. His delivery in the lines is pretty fucking solid. He looks menacing because he's big, black, and he's brooding. You know what I mean? Like he's just, he's, a, he looks like intimidating. He carries about himself a swagger and confidence that it's almost like you're almost sympathetic to the Duke because all the Duke really wants to do is leverage the fact that he has the president to escape from New York. And to do that, and to, sorry, and for Snake to take that away from him, you kind of feel sympathetic to the Duke <laughs> because he just wants to get out of that hellhole, right? And... I don't know what crimes he's committed 
And at the same time, you're like, oh, fuck, man. Maybe you should just put him in a normal prison where he can get at least some sort of humanity. You know what I mean? As opposed to running around like an animal. Look, look, look. The crimes that he committed was that he was just too cool for school, man. Mm. How pimping how was his car? He's, dude's driving around with fucking chandeliers on the bonnet. Yeah, that was a bit... <laughs> mm, okay. but, but, yeah, I mean, it's not very practical. But, I mean, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, it's... I mean, because maybe he's called the Duke of New York because there's, there's an actual Duke of York. Maybe that's why. Huh. Um, but, I mean, it's he just aesthetically looks badass. And he's one of the reasons why you have such an interesting film. Because you've got a uh, protagonist and, and, and an antagonist that are equally matched. You know what I mean? There's nothing yeah, I know what you mean. to suggest that one's better than the other. And it's literally a fight of the, of the wheels to determine who's going to come out on top. That's it. No more, no less. Anth, any final yeah. words on this before we wrap this up? I think we've gone for an hour now. Yeah, uh, everyone, watch They Live. <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> oh, we, we've done They Live, surely. No, nah, no, nah, we haven't done They Live. I'm telling you. I'm telling you we haven't done They Live, all right? You reckon? I reckon. I'm looking through it now. You're probably right. I mean, I would think I'd remember. <laughs> maybe you. Maybe you've no, done maybe it. We with talked them. about it. We just never got to it. I, I think every time we talk about John Carpenter, we we always go into his other movies. But I don't like. We haven't. We haven't dived into They Live. Hmm. I want to do Prince of Darkness because I haven't seen that in ages. I think I've only seen that once. Does that, does that hold up? Uh, I've never seen it, man. Really? Seen it. Yeah, yeah. For realsies. Huh. Oh she, she's knees. Never seen no it. Shit. So you haven't seen... So what... Or is any others dude, you haven't seen? Dude, John Carpenter movies aren't as easy to come by as you might think. Uh, uh, no, they're I not. Have, You're right. I have not seen um, the one you keep bringing up. Uh, Which one? Shit. The, I'm just bringing it up. Hold on. So you've seen Assault Precinct 13. That's on TV. Uh, I haven't. No, I've seen it once, but I haven't seen it in like forever so i don't really remember much. i've seen the remake more than i've seen the original um i haven't seen dark star um assault on precinct 13 i haven't seen since i was a kid mm-hmm. uh, um i haven't elvis. seen someone's watching me i've seen elvis uh, <coughs> what about the fog you seen the fog i i've got the fog i'm pretty sure mm. uh, yeah i do i've had that i've got that one but i haven't seen that one in a while either mm. um and the war what's that last one he did there was at the ward. I haven't seen the ward. Um, I just watch. I just watch Village of the Damned. Um, that was. That was not good. No, it's not good. Now the thing that I'm pretty sure I keep talking about um, is uh, Prince of Darkness. I'm pretty sure that's the one. I keep yeah, yeah. About. You 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 bring up Prince of Darkness, but you also bring up Dark Star as well. Um, but yeah, I have I have not seen Prince of Darkness, so um, maybe let's do a uh, maybe Starman as well with. Um, no, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that's a bit gay though. <laughs> I don't mean that in the derogatory sense. It's just a bit, bit of a that one. Yeah, that's that. Oh, let's watch Prince of Darkness. It looks alright. Alright. Right. Um, I might have to. I'm not sure if I've still got that on DVD. I might have to try and find that. I'll leave. I'll leave that one to you. I'll leave that one to we'll you. Fight, we'll right. sort it out, listeners. All right. As always, you can find us on Twitter at ffm f <laughs> at fmmr pod. Full Metal yeah. Movie Reviews pod uh, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. And um, and as always, thanks for listening. And Anth, thanks for joining us.
No worries. Happy Easter, y'all. I hope you guys ate some chocolate. And if you're Greek, your Easter is this week. And there's a Greek church right in front of me. So I am not happy with you. I'm just kidding. Peace and love to everybody. Thank you.